0: But as a community, we're going through the book of James, and we're in the second sub-series of the book. We're looking at living God's way in word and deeds, living God's way in words and deeds. And last week, Ryan did a great job of expounding on the text that could really uh, summarize the book of James. It's a text that says, faith without works is dead. Faith without works is dead. And uh, what Ryan essentially called us to was a faith that works, a faith that works. He made a case from the text that godly or good works is evidence of a sincere faith. Godly or good works is evidence of a sincere faith. And today, we're going to build on last week, and we're going to see James takes us a step further as he describes that one of the more specific evidences of a sincere faith is the way that we use our tongue is the way that we use our tongue. Not only the specific words that we would use, but how we would say them. And in our day and age, I'd even extend that to say the words that we might express on different platforms, on social media and the, and the like. And my hope is that as we go through this text, our heart's going to be awakened to the fact that if we profess to be Christ followers, then the words that we speak matter. The words that we speak matter. And they matter to God, and they affect other people, and actually, they're an indicator. They're something of an indicator of the state of our hearts and our souls, Let's get into it from verse 1. It says, not Many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that um, we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. So obviously, this is the verse that keeps me up at night uh, as a preacher knowing that I'd be judged with greater strictness because I'm a teacher. But the reality is that with with teaching comes great power, comes great influence. And though not perfect, this verse reminds us to stay humble, to stay grounded, to call out to God for His grace when we need to teach His word. But God is serious about His word. He's serious about words. They matter to Him. And I think many of us take this for granted, the fact that we're gonna give a heavenly account for the words that we speak, particularly the words that we would speak about God. Matthew 12:36 says, but I tell you that men will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every careless word that they have spoken. Um, when, uh, when Katie was about one years old, Sam and I were sitting in the lounge. She had just started to walk and she was uh, walking around the lounge and then she had walked around into the kitchen And so I gave it about 10 seconds. I say 10, it was probably five. And uh, I got up and I ran into, well, I didn't run. I walked into the kitchen and as I got there, there was Katie and she had grabbed one of the big knives off the counter. And I looked like this and I said, no. And I went to grab it and she was swinging this knife. Everyone has that one knife that they use to cut everything in the house. It's the big one and the sharp one. And she had grabbed that. And she was hitting the cupboard and she was hitting things. And I almost had to go in and try and grab it away from her to not hurt her. And um, this is the only mistake we've ever made parenting, all the other things we, <laughs> we generally feel oh like good. Um, so don't judge us on this one. But I managed to get the knife from her, and then I put it up on as a cupboard. And I think a lot of us are like that with words, like Katie was. She's kind of got this knife in her hand, but she can't appreciate the power and the effect that this thing has in her hand, and she's swinging it around. And we struggle to appreciate the effect, the power that these words have, how destructive they can be, this side of eternity and eternity to come. And I think this verse, we thought James was going to take it easier on us again, but he hasn't. And this verse awakens us to this. They carry an eternal weight, and as Christ follows, we can't remove our words from our faith. We can't remove our words from our faith. But James knows we're not perfect. From verse two, he says, for we all stumble in many ways. If, in, if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to also bridle his whole body. He says, we're all gonna get it wrong. We stumble in many ways. But then he says, if you're able to not stumble, then we're perfect, able to bridle our whole body. And what James is saying here is saying one of the true marks of Christian maturity is the ability to bridle one's tongue. When he, when he uses the word perfect in this case, he doesn't mean a, a, attaining sinless perfection. He means able to reach a level of maturity um, in our faith, to bridle our tongue, but we know we're still not, that we are imperfect. And this shouldn't be a surprise to us. This shouldn't be a surprise to us as Christ follows. There's Proverbs and other scriptures littered with instruction, on wisdom, on how we could use our words better. I mean, just a few ch- uh, uh, verses back in chapter one, in verse 26, James said, if anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Then again, saying we can't separate it. And James makes this case. A sincere faith produces a godly tongue. A sincere faith produces a godly tongue. So there's four things that kind of James is going to nail home in this verse that we're going to unpack. And those four things are that the tongue is powerful. He's going to show us the tongue is powerful. The tongue is destructive. that the tongue is actually untamed inherently. But we have hope because Jesus has the last word. And that's where we're going to go. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that we could be gathered in your name this morning. Jesus, we pray that you would fashion our hearts this morning, that you would fashion our souls, Jesus. As we hear your word, would you speak to us? We pray, Lord, that you would do your work this morning. Holy Spirit, would you present yourself with us? We desire to meet with you. We desire to increase the knowledge in the knowledge of who you are. We praise your name. Amen. Amen. So first, let's talk about the tongue being powerful. It says, from verse three, it says, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also, the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts in great things. And these two analogies, what James is doing, is making clear that we're not to underestimate the power of the tongue. A bit in a horse's mouth, the rudder of a ship, is the power to steer, direct them both. If you put it bluntly, the tongue has life-altering power. The tongue has life-altering power. In Proverbs 18, 21, it says, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it, will eat its fruits. Our words have power. And they can either bring death or bring life. They're not often consistently neutral. They either bring death or bring life. And we don't have to look far to see the power of words at work. We can look to God. Scripture says that He spoke the world into being. I don't think there's many people around the world if you had to say, let there be light that they wouldn't know what you're talking about. Creation story. Even God's word is referred to a double-edged sword that can pierce, that can transform our souls. His words, his very words carry power. Jesus was referred to as the word. We can look back at some words that were catalytic in changing a history. I think of Martin Luther King's famous speech, the I Have a Dream speech, that we consider the defining moment for the civil rights movements and ending racist laws in America. Nelson Mandela at the Ravonia trial. would go under cross-examination and instead of um, being cross-examined, he'd deliver a speech, express his ideal for a democratic society. He'd famously say, it is an ideal which I hope to live for and achieve, but if needs be, it's an ideal which I am prepared to die. Get him 27 years in prison, but we'd paint a hope picture that would come to pass. American President Ronald Reagan would say those famous words, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall, tearing down the Berlin War, ending the Cold War at the time. And how about some words that are closer to home? If we're honest, we've all been affected by words, positively, negatively. We know the effect that they can have on us. We don't have to explain this to us. I'm sure there's many experiences that come to mind. Words have been a wind to our sails or have been a weight to our souls. I remember in my own life I experienced it. So I'd struggled academically uh, through school and uh, when I got to to high school, there was a teacher and we were all joking around, he didn't scorn me, we were just all joking and bantering. But one of the things he said to me, he said, I hope that your sports work out because your academics aren't gonna take you anywhere. (laughs) Which was funny at the time, we were bantering and I won't tell you what I said back because I'm preaching on words. So, but we had a very good relationship. But he said to me, I said, and at the time, we laughed and it was funny and everything like that, but if I'm honest, there was something of a mental block for me when I had to go right my trick, I, and then I attempted to study law. I didn't have good enough marks. I couldn't get into any of the big universities. that um, I tried, I eventually was able to get into UNISA, studied, failed a little bit, but there was something of this academic block there. And I believe the Lord taught me how to study, taught me how to work hard, taught me how to apply myself. And there was a time that I was in, uh, I was sitting and there was a lecture and I was speaking to friends. And the way that I was speaking about myself was quite poorly when I was talking about my academics. And this lecturer heard me. And this lecturer, after class, took me aside and said to me, he said, you need to stop that. You need to stop speaking about yourself in that way, because I can see that you believe it. And she said, let me show you your marks. And she said, you've worked hard, you applied yourself. I'm telling you now today, you're an academic. You're an academic, and not a genius, not anything like that, but you can read, write, and research and apply yourself. You're an academic, you can do this. And i tell you something from that day forward. Something changed in my life, that block, something happened and I could apply myself. But every time I was sitting down, I wasn't sitting down as someone who's really gonna struggle with this in this default that had to try and work this out. I sat down as an academic that could take on the obstacles that would come. There was a shift and even that, uh, it wasn't the first semester, second semester, I'd go on to get my first distinction ever in my life at the end of that year. Not for the whole year, just for one subject, let's not push it. (laughs) Let's not push it, she was a lecturer, she wasn't Jesus, that's okay. So, but, but I'd go on to get my first distinction. Now, there was a lot at play at the time, but that's an example of where someone can just speak death, something that's harmful, over someone not knowing what it's actually doing. It's someone who speaks life. And I can tell you that when I sit down, even today, when I research, when I do stuff that I have to apply myself academically, that voice still rings true in my mind where someone said to me, no, you are that. And because someone said that, something came alive in me. But how much more should we listen to his voice when he speaks over us, his truth when he speaks over us? His words that give life, that we can hold on to. How much more should we believe His truth over us? I can't tell you how important it is for us to speak words of truth, words of life over people, especially young people's lives. And not, not flattery, not empty compliments. That's not what uh, James is after here. But truth over lives. And we swim in a a space that is so uh, cynical and so critical already. There's so many lies around us. But it's so important that we speak God's truth. Could use our words to mend, to restore, to bring wisdom, to heal, to bring peace, to encourage, to call out truth. I think even just sharing prophetic encouragement with one another. And what's our default? What's our default when we walk into a room? Do we walk in looking for the best in others and what God's grace is doing in their life? Are we looking for things that God is doing that we're celebrating? Because often that's not my default. Often we walk in, there's a competitiveness, there's a cynicism, there's a criticism that's there. We're weighing the scales half the time. And actually what it becomes, is it's a self-centeredness. And we swim in this, we swim in this. About three, mo- probably four months ago, there was um, a lady that came before a meeting and just said, could I speak to you, That I know who I, and said, could I speak to you after the meeting? And I said, no, that's absolutely fine. And if I can tell you, the last two and a half years for COVID, it's been difficult and discouraging for a lot of people, but particularly for people in ministry. It's just been a very discouraging uh, time over the last uh, two and a half half years. And and I was sitting, and even while I was sitting in the meeting, I was thinking, I've gotta speak to that person afterwards. And I was thinking, there were so many things that could come up, and I was bracing myself for different conversations that we might need to have. And, and I walked up to her, and, and, she, and she said, I just wanted to let you know, A, it's been a discouraging season. B, man, I'm so grateful for your leadership, not mine, leadership in plural, and I feel like you guys have done X, Y, and Z and been faithful to God on these few things. And I kid you not, in my mind, I went, and? <laughs> or I went, but... But there was something in me, and she said, No, I just want to encourage you. And there was something of her not trying to make me feel warm and fuzzy, not trying to let me help God feel better today. There was something in her that said, We live in a discouraging time. It is cynical, it is, and, and it is full of criticism. I want to tell you something. I need to remind you of God's truth and what He's doing. And there was something in me that just welled up, and I realized that we live in such a space of so much, of so much of this criticism and cynicism and stuff that we're swimming into that my soul like latched onto it. And it didn't latch on compliment, it didn't latch out of insecurity, it latched onto it as, that is good, that is of God, I need to remind myself of this truth, thank you for this. And two things happened. The first thing was realizing, man, it's been a long time since, you know, we've, I've heard that, or my soul needs that, the reminder of that truth. And I, I got a sense of the climate, the second thing that happened is that when I woke up on the Monday morning, there was a sturdiness in my, in, in, the found, in my foundation that when I came to work, there was this refresher and reminder of who God is, what he's called us to do and what he's doing and what he continues to do. All truth, not, nothing to do with me, but just a, a fire in my bones the next morning from one person saying, pure encouragement, I just need to tell you and remind you of God's grace in your life, in this church, in leadership, in what he's doing. Here we go. Words have life-altering power. And then James goes on to share another analogy with us. Where he expresses the destruction that words can have. It says, how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. Again, we don't need many examples to understand that the, that the tongue is destructive. I'm sure there's many examples in our own lives. But here what James is saying is is that this tongue, this this thing that is so small can be so powerful and with the simplest of words, it can create great devastation, great devastation. Immediately when I was was thinking of this, my mind went straight to, to just the tragedy of bullying. But there's some kids that we've even lost to suicide simply because of the terrible words that have been compounded daily from people's mouths those speaking those harmful words and they would never even understand the great fire ablaze and the destruction that it's causing only until it's too late. I mean, even myself, I have to be so careful with wit or joking or, or comebacks. I grew up in a boarding school where a witty comeback was a currency. It was a currency and sometimes the more harsh, the higher the value. But often I have to be careful of what is said in jest because what I write all funny today can cause fire tomorrow. I've gotta to be so careful. Relationships, I think of relationships that have been tainted simply because of conversations or words gone wrong. Friendships that have ended or, or died off. Devastation of fire. It's a devastation of fire and, and you know what? It often takes long for, for trees to grow back. It takes long for trees to grow back and we know that God can reconcile, we know that God can heal relationships, but sometimes even those words have even a wider effect than just that relationship. I think of our marriages. I think of the words in our marriages. One of the biggest mistakes I think we can make is thinking that we know the other person well enough that we can just say whatever we want. That's one of the biggest mistakes I think we can ever make. It's where we think I'm ultimately accepted, no matter what I say, I can speak freely. And it's actually an abuse of that grace and that love that we've been given from God and from our spouses. I wonder if our marriages would be more God-glorified if we went through the loving inconvenience of taming our tongues, if we did the loving hard work of respecting one another, of honoring one another. Because I think there's no easier trip up or ankle tap to a marriage when we don't keep our hearts and our words in check. I think it's one of the biggest footholds that we could give to the devil is demeaning uh, words, being like Katie with that knife, not understanding or appreciating the effect. And I've spoken to couples who have um, struggled with uh, divorce and have said to me that, um, that there's been roots of bitterness and anger that they have gone through and that they couldn't actually even think about the first fight that led to it. They couldn't define the first flame. But they knew that there was a forest of devastation, a forest of devastation that had been burnt down. Our words can bring death or bring life in our marriages. We are not exempt. We are not exempt. And there are many types of destructive words. Hasty, unthoughtful word, a proud word, a selfish word, a self-serving exaggeration, the manipulative flattery, words of slander, words of doubt, impure words, rebellious words, words of condemnation, threats, boasting, conflictual words, There's there's three distinctions for us just in our our current cultural climate that I just want to speak to. Each of these could be a sermon. I just want to touch lightly on each of these. The first is this, the words, words of criticism versus encouragement. Behind the words of criticism is a heart of criticism, and the heart of criticism wants to change a person by tearing away. The heart of criticism wants to change a person by tearing away. And often, we like to disguise it sometimes as constructive criticism. That's what we like to do. No, it's constructive criticism. But what was your heart? My heart's actually just to tear this off and tear this off. Encouragement is speaking God's truth over someone, truth, fact, over someone, with the heart of building them up. Encourage means to draw the courage out of someone. That lady that spoke to me at church drew the courage out of me. She didn't tell me how great God is and how she thinks God is. She said, I wanna tell you about God's truth and I wanna draw the courage out of you so that you can stand on some foundation that you can look to him and look to his truth because you need reminding about this because we're swimming in a world of cynicism and criticism and everything that's actually tearing you down. And I think feedback, we can still have feedback with one another, but we can have a heart of encouragement and feedback. we be wanting to still see this person be built up. And I'm telling you, I think we currently live in a world that is trying to change one another with criticism and not with encouragement. The world is at a space where we can change one another and instead of loving and encouragement, what we can do is if we, just keep, if we just keep tearing, if we just keep tearing at one another, eventually things will change and it's not working. Second thing I want to speak about is words of gossip versus honor. Words of gossip versus honor. And there's lots I could say about this. I want to say one thing. I think that heart, at the heart of gossip is this, self-importance, self-importance. I'm important because I need to tell the big news that I have to puff up my credibility. Or, as the listener, I need to know what's, being, uh, what's going on. I can't be left out. It's information that is spread at the expense of other people to satisfy our desire of self-importance. Self-importance. Push to honor... And the heart of honor is to protect others out of humility. It runs into the forest fire with the hose in order to protect, in order to guard, in order to build up trust. And that's a heart of honor. Next is words of anger versus gentleness. And this, this is a big one. And I, this could be a whole sermon again in itself. But I wanna say this, I don't know if there's anything more, in my opinion, I don't know if there's anything more destructive in the world than words that are spoken out of anger. Charles Spurgeon says that the pastor is like the physician of the soul. And as a pastor, I've had front row seats to a lot of souls. And let me tell you some of the biggest devastation, destruction, and shrapnel that I've seen God have to move in to pull out have come from words of anger, and sometimes we think about anger in the wrong way. And anger is like a snake bite. We think about temper, someone losing their temper, someone saying these words in a bit of rage, and all of that. That's the bite. But the thing about the snake bite, it's not about it's it's the bite that is sore, but it's the poison that is deadly. And the same with anger. Anger. Yes, the temper, the rage, the words said, all of that. There's a, there's a trauma in that in itself. But man, it's the words that remain that are deadly, that put their hooks in there, that get into the bloodstream. And it's so, so destructive. And angry words stir up angry words. No one kind of started a war or a fight um, No one went in just uh, starting a war, starting a fight without throwing a punch or anything like that. There was something that built up there. There was a rumbling that built up. There was a to and fro, because anger stirs up anger. And the Bible says this, a gentle word word turns away wrath. A heart that is humble, a heart that is forgiving, a heart that is selfless can speak gentle words. Words. A gentle word can be a fire truck of water to a forest set ablaze. A gentle word. But it's first a heart before God that becomes gentle. And we can say, but what, what about righteous anger? I mean, Jesus spoke some harsh words when necessary, especially to the Pharisees. He called them hypocrites. He called them whitewashed tombs. He called them a brood of vipers at one stage and he was without sin. Surely I can go around throwing a couple of those. If I just call people a brood of vipers, is that all right? I'd say no. I'd say no. Jesus does this, it's a couple of things, but Jesus does this to wake up, rebuke the Pharisees, but we must remember he can see their heart, their rebellion, and something he hated the most is leading other people astray, so he could see that. He was also angry without sin, we know that, and everything that he did in those moments was purely kingdom motivated. So yes, there is something of a righteous anger that we can have against injustices and against things that we see that are not of God, absolutely, but often I think we like to justify our anger under the guise of righteous anger. But when we get angry, we too often we have improper control, improper focus, and often our anger stirs up from inside where it's self-centered, where it's self-centered. We fail to express it. In a, godly, in a godly way. James 1, 19 to 21 says, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry, for man's anger does not bring about the righteous uh, life that God desires. And there's many more distinctions that we can talk through when it comes to harmful words and words that give life. And James gets quite specific in the next text actually. And so make sure to come next week. Bruce is gonna go a little bit deeper as we follow on uh, from this. Uh, So make sure not to miss out. But there's some a helpful guideline, you've probably heard this before, where we can audit something of our words. There's three questions we can ask ourselves. And you, you might have heard this before, but it's is it true? Is it kind? Is it necessary? Is it true? Is it kind? and is it necessary? And what we've actually done is we've made a little word audit journal. It's gonna be sent out on the Bosch BM WhatsApp group. If you'd like to receive it, you can go to the involvement desk. But basically, it's just 14 days of us sitting in God's word where we can meditate on God's word and what he would say about words and how we speak them. And then there's a time of reflection at the end of the day where we can think, hey, did the words I speak today bring life or were they a bit harmful? and allows us to meditate on his word and order ourselves and order our hearts as well. So it's gonna be great for reflection, so make sure to get that. But true, kind, necessary helps, because sometimes there are times where a hard truth we need to tell someone. There are hard truths that we need to, uh, to speak to people. But if something is true and necessary, and it rarely does bring people close to God or might reveal something where, they, where they're hurting themselves, what's getting in the way of their spiritual uh, well-being. If our heart is sincerely for God and for that person, there's a kindness in that. There's a kindness in that. You know, the message and even the gospel can offend people, but it's when the messenger and the heart of the messenger and the sinfulness of the messenger is affecting people that James says we're gonna have a problem where these things don't match up. In fact, when our hearts are in the right place and we've got to bring difficult feedback, we can trust the Lord with it when our hearts are in the right place. And when we said, Is this true? Is this kind? Is this necessary? Yes. Proverbs 27 6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Then James goes on to say, The tongue is untamed. He says, For every kind of beast and bird, a reptile, see. And sea creature can be tamed. It has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, this ought not to be so. There's a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water. Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can salt pond yield fresh water. Hear you know what James is actually telling us. He's saying, inherently, we can't actually tame the tongue. He says we can tame animals, but actually, we can't actually tame our tongues ourselves. Apart from our relationship with God and his transformative power, our hearts are not able to change and therefore our words are not able to change. And you say, well, how does this work? Well, for, for those of us that believe in Christ, we know that we, we're dead in our trespasses. But because of Christ's finished work on the cross, because we've been redeemed, what happens is that Instead of becoming people um, that were uh, stuck in in our sin, stuck in our trespasses in the need of a Savior, we now become people who are redeemed, but that's sin sometimes. And it's gonna be like this, this side of eternity, until we go be with Jesus, and there will be no more sin. Now that we've been redeemed, we have the Holy Spirit inside of us. We're able to fight sin. And we see in the next verse that James says, we bless God, we curse people with the same mouth. It should not be so. Salt pond can't yield fresh water. We must remember, James is writing to a Jewish Christian audience here. He hasn't brought up murder and drunkenness and all of those types of sins. What has he touched on? Impartiality, sincerity of faith, taming the tongue. What he's doing here is he's giving them a hypocrisy rinse. There's a hypocrisy rinse. He's just saying your words need to match your faith because there's subtlety here. There's things that are coming out that actually need to add up. And we need to be careful because the other version of this is where we click into word management which is what I don't want us to leave here today with where we think, okay, Garth, I must just be nice to people. Just be nice. Just watch what I say a couple of times, a few times. Hold my tongue a little bit. Say sorry if it's a bad comeback or if it's harsh words. I get you. But that's not what it's about. It's not what James is after here. It's not about saying just saying nice things. It's a heart after God that is transformed. That words that flow out of that are godly words. That's what James is after here. The problem is, as we've just read, the tongue is inherently untamed. It's built to make fires. It's exactly what it's going to do. We need to be transformed within. It can seem like an impossible task, but there's good news for us. There's good news for us. 2,000 years ago, Jesus would be arrested. He'd be convicted in false charges. He would get mocked. He would get bullied, scorned, beaten. He would be taken up Calvary Hill. And while the soldiers would hurl abuse at him, while they would mock him, they would scorn them in their disbelief. While that was happening, he would be asking the Father to forgive them for they know know not what they do. And that righteous wrath we were speaking about earlier, that righteous wrath, that was meant for you and I because of our rebellion to God. But on the cross, he would take it on himself. He would absorb all of that righteous wrath on himself. And while he was on the cross, before he would die, there were some words that he would say that would change history forever. Some very, very powerful words. And he would say this, it is finished. It is finished. And I'm telling you, every time we hear those words, there should be an encouragement and a refreshment to our bones. Every time that we hear those words or think about those words, it is finished. This is the good news, that if we have a heart, after God by the power of his Holy Spirit we can put water onto the flames and what's more is we can have hearts that speak words of life into people into situations a heart after God will build instead of tear down it can heal instead of hurt it can encourage instead of criticize and so how do we tame the tongue Well, like James says we can't we need to look to Jesus who's able to transform our hearts and, can, and change our words. And just to say, if you're here for the first time, there can be something of, of hearing this and thinking about, like I said, that word management. We can think, oh, I said this thing, I said that. No, within all of this, we can come back to Christ, the one who can transform us. And if you're here for the first time, the message that you would want to hear this morning is considering who God is and the one that paid the price. Let's meditate on that truth this week as we hear more about what he has to say about our words. We need to bring our hearts before God. We need to audit them soberly. We need to use God's words as a mirror to our souls, seeing good fruit from bad fruit in the condition of our hearts. Maybe a good place to start this week will be with those audit journals. But let us know that there is good news in Jesus and his transformative power, and we can trust him. He is the word. We're gonna pray. Can I ask the band to come up, please? Can I ask us to stand together? by our heads. Lord, we thank you for your words um, this morning, Jesus. Lord, I really do pray that um, for those of us here that have been hurt by words, where there's been destruction, where there has been forest fire set ablaze, Lord, that you would come and heal. I pray, Jesus, that you would come and plant new trees. I pray that you would restore. In full completion, Jesus. Lord, where there are scars, Jesus, that you might use those powerfully, Lord, for you to be glorified. Jesus, for those of us that have said words, I pray, Lord, that there wouldn't be a sense of condemnation, Jesus, but a sense of a fresh conviction this morning that you are who you say you are, Lord. That you have the power to transform our hearts and that you do have the power to heal, restore. Lord, I I pray that for all of us, there would be something of us taking our eyes off ourselves, looking to others and seeing your splashes of grace, your goodness, your faithfulness, your power at work. And may we call those things out so that from our lips we would praise a mighty, good, powerful God still at work in our hearts still making his kingdom come.